Okay, everybody, welcome to a Robcast. We're in Melbourne in a hotel room. Once again, Liz Gilbert returning for her third time on the Robcast. We have an audience of one. Would you like to introduce our audience of one? Brendan Fredericks, the great publicist, Brendo. Add an O, if you're down under, to the name. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) We should tell how you met Brendo. I met Brendo in New York. Because uh, I took him to come and see you yes. in New York, and somebody in the audience said to you, an Australian woman said, "When are you coming to Australia?" That's my Australian accent. <laughs> wait, sounds, wait, 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 wait! Do it again. It sounds it again. more like a newsy <laughs> from from a nineteen forties like Cagney movie. <laughs> hey, Cagney, when are you coming to Australia? <laughs> so she said to you, "When are you coming to Australia?" And you said, I need to figure out how to do it. And I, I need shouted my man. out, I need a dude. I've got him right here. Brendan Fredericks, publicist, him to, tour manager. And, you um, volunteered him to organize a tour and publicly in a group of people. Yeah. And he was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and now, look, it happened. And it happened. Um, okay, so last night I, I was at the Athenium in downtown Melbourne. And Liz and family were here. Yes. And Brendo, of course. And now um, we're here. And so what would you like to talk about today first? Wow. <laughs> um, what should, where should we begin? I mean, this is our third Robcast. Yes. Have we spent all our material? We have nothing left to say no, to each other? Uh, so let's talk about you spent the past, what, four months traveling for Big right. Magic. For Big Magic, which was awesome. What um, struck you? What was new? What struck you? What surprised you? I'll tell you what surprised me is that how receptive people were to the mystical, magical thinking ideas in that book. Um, because I didn't speak publicly about those ideas for a long time. Um, you know, yeah. my ideas about how inspiration works, essentially, in a nutshell, that ideas have consciousness and will, and they move through the universe looking for human collaborators. And when they find one, they sort of tap on the shoulder and give you the universal signals of inspiration, of excitement and chills and nervousness and thrill, all of which is a question. And the question is, will you work with me? Will you collaborate with me to take me out of the ether and make me into a thing on earth? And that's how ideas work. And sometimes ideas bounce from person to person. And sometimes they show up in two places in the world at the same time. They have this you know, this sort of quantum physics aspect to them. Yes. And, um, and I just unabashedly wrote about that and then, Big Magic, right from the beginning, just said, look, I, I'm not going to kid around here. I'm talking about, like, Hogwarts stuff here. <laughs> and I expected Your TED talk had such pieces pushback. Of that. Yeah, it had bit, bits of it, but I really laid it out in Big right. Magic. Like, I'm not even going to pretend th- that I don't believe this. And I expected people to be so resistant. And everywhere I went, people were like, yeah, I know. Yeah, I've had that. Yeah, I totally know what that feels like. Yeah, I've had things come through me and to me that oh, didn't come from me. I love it. Um you know, I've lost ideas and seen them show up in the New York Times six months later when somebody else had it. I've, you know, people get it. They get it. When did you? I didn't first... have to justify it. Everyone knows. Right, right. When, when would you? When did you first have those initial seeds of? Oh wait, there is something moving through me. I mean, that's early always, on. Always, always, I think. So the book was was like a lifetime of making things. Yeah. And the fun thing about that book, too, is that even though all my other books have been very heavily researched, that one, not there's not a fact in that book. <laughs> there's not a single piece of... There was no 3x5 card. No 3x5 cards, no footnotes, no interviews with experts, no... Like, it's just a manifesto of what I believe. And 
so people will say like, how long did it take you to write that book? And I'm like, well, either 46 years or three weeks, depending on how you want to, <laughs> how you want to count That's it. That's such a great, um, because it's just always been there and it just, it was so, it's so fun just to see people. It's just so fun to see people receptive to that. Um, you know, I, I feel, um, I definitely feel that same way when someone was like, where did that answer come from? Or where did that idea come from? And I'll be like, it just came to me or yeah. ah, it took like 30 years for that sentence to come out yeah. the way it needed to. Do yeah. you see, I thought that I see one thing I'm always trying to tell people is, and you spoke a bit about this last night too, in a way that, you know, I'm a big science geek. I, signature of all things is just a, mm-hmm. just a glorious honoring of science Absolutely. And, and empirical thought and rationalism and technology. I'm all, about that, but I think you have to preserve some part of your conscious imagination for irrational thought. And the safest place for your irrational thoughts to live is in the realm of creativity. You can do very little harm with them there. You can do a lot of harm in politics with irrational or thought. Or designing a car. <laughs> politics, yeah. designing yeah. a car. Yeah. Um, even in relationships, even in, you know, like there's, there's just, even in religion, you can do a lot of harm with irrational thought. In a way. Yes, that um, is maybe correct. especially there. Yes, um, but yeah. but a really safe place for it to live is in the realm of creativity. In fact, you must have it. You must have it. Um, otherwise, one, there's no place for your irrationality right. to live, and two, your creativity will suck. Right. Um, exactly. So you have to preserve that somehow against empiricism without destroying empiricism we can have that too you know there's a mod, you know there's a way of explaining this that theorists please use? please please you know i was explain. actually going to do a whole podcast on this but i'm gonna talk about it right now for okay, a second because it. um you have pre-rational right which is crazy magical mythical but for example a distant relative of mine who had a limb amputated who's like we're praying that it grows back and you're like sure. Uh, cool. I, I, I don't know what to s- s- say other than good luck with that. Um, so you have sort of pre-rational, just not thinking, um, not an engagement of the intellect. Then you have an, a, burning a necessary... Witch, burning witches. Yes. Right. Burning witches. Then you have a necessary evolutionary, enlightened, whatever you call it, move into rational. Right. Which is often when you then deconstruct where you're coming from. Right. So rational is this engagement of the mind, and the dominant question rational is it doesn't make sense. So you have lots, lots of people that happens um, sometimes method. high school, sometimes it happens when you go to college, and, and then you start asking questions about your tribe, and you start deconstructing, I was taught that, I was handed this, and you sort of pick it all apart. And rational is absolutely necessary. Wars generally come from pre-rational, so we, we need to move into rational. But if you stay in rational, rational starts to fold in on itself uh-huh. because it doesn't know what to do which, with that, which it can't describe using the basic categories of reason, logic, data, and evidence. And so what you have is a world of people who are raised in a rational world that has like, it's so rational, it's become a hyper-rational, um, but the move is from pre-rational to rational. And if you keep going, you move into trans-rational. Oh, I thought you were going to say and post-rational, but I like trans-rational trans because better. It, and, and the reason why you contains... can't why it can't be post-rational right. is post-rational implies you left rational behind. Right. And so trans-rational is what happens when you developmentally realize my my intellect is fully engaged. It's so engaged, it's come to the very logical realization that there are some realities that 
cannot be explained with this rational, logical, ruthlessly methodical language and mindset that there are some realities that exist in a different category. And wow. so one of the problems, uh, I'm trying to think of an example of, oh, well, lots of people find the new atheism movement very excited, which is there's nothing going on here. You're just a collection of your cells, right. which is rationalism essentially doubling down. Right. Fundamentalist but rationalism. Fundamentalist rationalism. Yeah. And what, what's weird is it becomes, um, I remember you told me a story about speaking at TED that was a classic case of fundamentalist rationalism, yeah. which was something along the lines of, Liz, that's a nice talk, but it's complete rubbish. Yeah. I loved it. I cried. I stood up and gave you a standing ovation, but I think you, you're, what you said is garbage. <laughs> yes. I was like, really? Why'd you cry? <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly. Why'd you cry then? Be and, and that's a classic like, yeah. whoa, whoa, uh-oh, I'm, I'm encountering something that doesn't fit my nice, neat categories of data, logic, right. and evidence. So I'm just going to double down on your nuts yeah. as opposed to this m much needed move into transrational where our mind is fully engaged. We just acknowledge there are great mysteries. And you can say, I know how old the earth is. I believe in global warming. Vaccinations work. And also there are mysteries. Mm-hmm. Right? So you get to hold both of those realities. Absolutely. You know, Which is, and I dinosaurs think... are older than us. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a spirit moving also. Yes, exactly. And what's happened sometimes is in transrational, you begin reaching back and using some of the language of pre-rational. Right. Spirit, uh, magic, prayer blessing, favor, flow. Um, I was being guided. Right. That was like a hand on my shoulder. But you're actually using that language, for, which to somebody irrational, it looks like you're, the, all they know of that language is it comes from pre-rational. But you're like, no, 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 no. I understand exactly why you're completely breaking out in hives right now. I'm just using all those images. So in my work, when I speak of prayer or blessing or even the divine or... Um, for many people, they start twitching rational because they're like, oh, my God, this is the same old pre-rational oh God, here stuff. here we go. And I can't go backwards. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. I just kept going. <laughs> I'm using this language on the uh -huh. other side because I think some of these naming systems, these rituals, these rites are actually phenomenally powerful ways of describing these realities. And so the thing is pre and trans will often be using some of similar language, but they're coming from very different places to rational. How's that? Uh, I like it. <laughs> so, Not bad for eight o'clock in the morning in a hotel room. <laughs> a hotel. Damn. So I think that's guys actually... drinking herbal tea, and he just delivered that. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't even drink coffee, and he delivers that first I've thing. I've never had coffee. Did really? I tell you that? I just never had it. Huh? Isn't that fascinating? But tea, love that tea. Mm. So I think that's actually the response to big magic. Right. Is you have this gleaming, extraordinarily impressive modern world that's done all this amazing stuff. But something underneath it is people are like, okay, but I still have this tingling thing up my neck. neck. So a lot of people are like, oh, look at, look at Scandinavia. They've left behind religion. Look how advanced they are. It, they've left behind pre-rational expressions of that which can't be named by the standard language. But that doesn't mean that people aren't still like, please give me symbols, images, rituals. Please help name that which can't be named. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think, what you're tapping into. Well, the other thing is that, you know, when you embark on a creative endeavor, it is fundamentally a completely irrational act. Um, because <laughs> here's what you do. Here's what you're doing 
is when you're about to embark on a creative endeavor, you are saying to yourself, to the to your community, to the universe, all right, here's what I'm going to do now. I'm going to take the single most precious resource that I possess, the one currency that can never be restored once it's spent, which is my time. My And I'm mortal, and I also am conscious of my consciousness, so I know that I'm mortal, and I know that my time and my minutes on this earth are numbered, and I don't know when that number is up, and I know that this is my treasure, right? Mm. My time, my yeah. energy is yeah. my treasure. I'm going to take my time and my energy that I could be using doing a bunch of really rational stuff, hunting for food, creating shelter, advancing my place in the world, my empire, um, trying to have sex with as many people as possible, like whatever you would do to like fill those hours with success and meaning. Yeah, and, something you know, could be measured. You could measure, you could make something, you produce, you could produce. Like look at that shed in the backyard. <laughs> I did that. Yeah. You could like <laughs> advance your tribe, your lineage. Like you could use that time to work harder so you could get a better swimming pool. Like there's stuff you could yeah. do that would make sense. So instead of doing that, what you say when you're about to embark on a purely creative adventure is I'm going to take that time and I'm going to use it to make something that nobody needs. That right. nobody needs and very likely nobody wants and maybe nobody likes and maybe nothing will come of it. Like does – Go look at Barnes and Noble. Do we need more novels? Or we're like, oh man, we had a I'm real novel add shortage to this giant pile. <laughs> right, right, and, right. And and maybe the one I make will never even end up in a Barnes and Noble because maybe it's not sellable and maybe it's right. not marketable or maybe it does end up in a Barnes and Noble and it's on the new releases table for six days and then it's remaindered and, and now then it's in your seven garage. People read it and I spent four years yeah. of my yeah, yeah. irreplaceable precious yeah. life force doing that. So if you start to ask, why would you do that? Which is a really rational question. Very quickly, you're not going to do it, which is why you have to pr protect your creativity from rational thought. Um, because the rational answer is there is absolutely no reason in the world you should do that. Yeah. Brendan was telling me the other day about this publishing house here in Melbourne that's doing this release of a book where they're releasing it. They're publishing each piece of it in, in chapters, right? Five novellas in chapter. Which He's you like, said is terrible. It's the worst the business worst way plan ever. Like, but it's kind of a cool but idea. But they want to do it because they want to do it because it's exciting and it makes them want to get up in the morning. Um, and how do you explain that yeah. empirically? There isn't. But it's interesting because I think you can think about that in terms of somebody who wants to do some great humanitarian work sure. or wants to be a lawyer, wants to be whatever. And you're like, uh, yeah, but people are still going to be hungry. People are still going to be – there's still going to be a – Kajillion more people who are illiterate, but the person is like, yeah, but I need to do this. Or and when they're like, why would I do that if there's still going to be more problems? Wrong question. The only questions, but that would get you out of bed in the morning. How about let's have a baby in a world that's dying? Um, yeah. Like that's an irrational thing to do. How about like, you know, like, <laughs> oh, just, like, you know what I mean? Like, yes. why would you do that? Yeah. Why would you do that? Okay, we're not going to have any time to ourselves anymore. Like when I see people make the decision to have a child and you start, there is no rational reason because to do Because in previous that. generations, it was like, well, agriculture. We need farmhands. We need farmhands. <laughs> or tribe. We need, we need yeah. soldiers. Why or, would you do that? Right. Because you have to. Because you want to. Because you need to. Because, because something because within there is no you because. demands expression. Because that soul wants to be born through you. Yes. Chose you as parents before. Yeah. You know, like there's... So you have to you have to have that, or else what is your life? You know, right? Um, what are you even What are you even doing? Just producing and consuming. Yes. On the, in the matrix, which isn't enough to keep a person 
from despair. I love it. <laughs> I love so it. So I'm just excited about how open people are to that. What was the number one question on in the past uh, four months? It's all, f- I want to make a thing and I'm afraid. Yeah. Variance on that. I want to make yeah. a thing and I'm afraid. I want to, I want to paint and I'm afraid. I want to write a novel and I'm afraid. I want to, I, f- I want to start a business and I'm afraid. Um, so creativity is calling to me. Inspiration is calling to me. I recognize the signal. I know what it means to be called, but I'm scared to death. You know, some variation of that question. Yeah. By the way, I love in the book fear. It was really eye opening because I think when we were on tour with Miss Winfrey, you were answering the questions about fear with. You weren't like just be fearless. You were like, no, fear is a part of it. And I remember like, well, that's a crazy answer. And then in the book there is fear can ride in the back seat, but you can't pick the music or have your hand on the wheel. Yeah, fear doesn't Some get to fear doesn't get to um, choose the snacks on the road trip. <laughs> <laughs> but it, <laughs> but has it gets place. to be in the minivan because you can't kick it out. So just let it have its, place, it have its place in your bean. That uh, and I I'll, I quote you fully on that. That hasn't become uh, you know it's been said. <laughs> Liz and I have an inside joke, Robcast friends. That at first you're like you know Liz Gerbold always says fear can ride in the car. They just then the second time <laughs> people are like. You know, it's been said, and then third time, it's like, I always say, (laughs) but that one's like straight through Liz Gilbert. But you know what? I have to say the biggest thing that's been changing in my life recently is that I have, I'm so comfortable with fear because I've been so afraid my whole life and I've made friends with it. And you've been afraid your whole life. I'm I'm a very, I was a very skittish, nervous, scared kid. I, I'm, I'm always on the edge of just shaky and scared. And you are right now. Kind of, it's like the. Does anybody else know this? It's like the song in the back. It's like the the song in the in the kitchen playing on the kitchen radio all the time in the other room. Like fear, a little bit of fear, a little bit of fear. And it manifests itself as things are going to go bad. People aren't going to like you. This year, what are you doing? Keep going. Keep the list going. Oh, okay. <laughs> really? Yeah, always. But it's almost like my old friend because. I know it so well, and it's a tender feeling, and it's a feeling of mm. openness, and it's a feeling of. What you said last night, when you have doubt, it means that your faith has a pulse. When you're scared, it means you've got skin in the game. Mm-hmm. I'm so not afraid of fear. It's so weird. I'm, I'm, I know it so intimately. I know it's first, middle, last names. I know it's mother's maiden name. I know it's social security number. I know fear so well, and it doesn't scare me. It's just my, it's my old companion. We've, n- we've never been apart. But the emotion that I am terrified of, which I guess then becomes fear, is anger. Um, because I don't know anger very well, and I didn't grow up with people who expressed it. I grew up in a very waspy kind of, you know, you could uh. tell when people were mad because everyone left the house. No one knew how to confront. No one knew how to... You could to tell people were angry because no one expressed it. No one it. was there. <laughs> yeah. You could tell everybody oh, wow. somebody was mad because literally the house would be empty because everyone just went off in different cardinal point directions until they had champed it down enough to be able to sit at the dinner table and pretend nothing had happened, right? So, like, anger is something I don't really know anything about but recently I've had this revelation about anger where I'm like well why what if you could just be as unafraid of anger as you are of fear and love and and passion and all the other emotions right um, it could s- ride in the car too it can be in the car too what if they can all be what the whole, what if the whole family gets to be in the car so my meditations recently have been I am not afraid of anything that I feel like what if yeah. what if you weren't afraid of anything that you felt how free would your life be? And also, what if you weren't afraid of anything anybody else feels? 
Um, because I spend my thing about anger is I'm scared of my own anger and I'm terrified of other people's anger. Right. Um, right, right. It just scares me to death. So what if it's okay? Like, what if I'm not scared of your anger or mine? What if I'm not scared of your fear or mine? What if I'm not scared of Donald Trump's rage or I'm trying to think of, I can't think of anybody worse. (laughs) I literally, that was literally the last name on the list. I can't come up with anybody. My, like the mouse in my brain was scrolling through. (laughs) Like I can't beat that example. I'm trying. (laughs) So what if you can just, and I guess that's what the Buddhists do is that they just sit with all the feelings and aren't scared of any of them. The whole and range watch of human, the whole theater. The whole range of human experience is okay. It's all, and it's probably acceptable. quite normal given whatever you're in. And Freud felt that way as well. Like he, even with like, I remember just being sort of radically amazed by the Freudian idea that there is no unacceptable sexual fantasy. That was mm. that's pretty amazing for Freud, a, guy, a German guy, to have said a that German in the twenties. Right, right. Like, actually, you know what? There's nothing so depraved that it's not okay that you wish it or think it. Now, acting on it is something else altogether. But what if you yeah. weren't even afraid of what you desire? Um, and then and then you could hold that desire and be like, okay, that's my weird sexual fantasy, but I'm, I'm not going to do that because I can see how the consequences would be you would stand not in, good. <laughs> yeah, you would, you would yeah. stand in observance of it. Of everything. Which and is where like, which is where like psychology and Buddhism kind of intersect is what if it's safe in this room to say, feel, think everything? Yeah. Um, because the repression of it is the thing that causes the shame, which it creates the shadow, the which is why you act out in all action, sorts of ways, right? Which causes the destruction, which causes the hatred, which causes the you know. So yeah. um, I'm really interested in this woman named Pilar Jennings, who wrote a book called Mixing Minds about where she's a Buddhist and a psychotherapist and a uh, Freudian analyst, and she writes about like the intersection of those ideas, sort of the safety of feeling. What if everything is, what if you can, what if everything is allowed to be felt? Um, And it's amazing how I'm finding that if I can just do this all day, this is my practice lately all day, is like whenever I have a dark thought or an angry thought or a vengeful thought or a shameful thought, I think, Liz, I love the part of you that still hasn't forgiven that person from 20 years ago. It's all right. It goes away instantly. You diffuse it all with love. Yeah. Instead of saying, stop thinking that, stop feeling that way, stop wanting that thing. I'm like, oh, Liz, I love the part of you that desires that, but it's all right. It goes away, <laughs> turns to dust. It's like a soap bubble that yeah. just bursts. I love the part of you that still can't meditate. I say while I'm meditating badly. <laughs> <laughs> I love the part of you that's yes. judgmental of that person. Yeah. I love the part of you that's judging that person. Boom, judgment disappears. Right. It's amazing how like this unconditional love of all the parts of yourself makes all the parts of yourself safe and then you can relax. I love the part of you that doesn't feel like writing your novel. Like, oh really? Okay, well I'll get back to work then. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, all of it's fine. What if all of it's fine? Uh, I love it. I used I uh there was this guy who used to drive me mental, but I had to see him on a regular basis and he made me so angry. And I was, I'm not like that very angry person, but this guy could just, just made me just live. He had the nuclear keys to you. He had the nu- he was, he had it handcuffed to his wrist <laughs> and he was just kept dangling going, look, I've got your number, Rob Bale. And I had stumbled across this Psalm, these Hebrew prayers that are like, God crush my enemy. 
don't just crush my enemy. Crush my enemy's kids. <laughs> no, don't just don't just kill my enemy's kids. Dash them against the rocks. No, 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 no. Don't just dash them. And I was and somebody had said like, how cruel and how horrible are these psalms? Why would you ever have a? Why would you ever even acknowledge these ancient prayers? And, and I was like, that's a great question, because um, they're so violent and so due to my enemy, this and that, calling down wrath and lightning bolts. And I was like, oh, I had stumbled across this idea that, no, no, this is healthy spirituality. The person is praying all their deepest, darkest hatred for this person. And in name, God, do these all these horrible things to my enemy's children. You're a lot less likely to, to actually, actually do, do those things. And so I would go, I would uh. go out for a run and I would start running and just say, I hate that guy. Just kill. <laughs> I would just spew all the venom I could about this guy. Um, and I noticed that I would go, I would do this four mile run and three miles in, I'd still be like, just, 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 I don't want to make him fall. You know what? I want like, but the more I did it, I, two miles in, I'd run out of things. And it literally over the course of like a couple of weeks or months, I would get to where within the first mile I would, I literally ran out my anger against this guy. Wow. But it wasn't you from being it. like, oh, just love him. Everything's fine. He's a brother. We're all sharing the same floating ball through space. No, it was smite him. Go all the way <laughs> into the heart of it. Right, right. And, and don't stop. Like right. every last deep, dark impulse you have towards him and detail. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like express right. it. Get game of drag Thrones. every yeah. yeah, Game of Thrones level detail. Get every single last thing in there. Speak it. Because when it's in there, it's like the monster in the closet. Right. You don't exactly know how big that closet. What your parents did is they open the door and they're like, look in the closet. And you're like, oh wow, there's oh, no monster. Right. So but what was fascinating to me is, oh, the problem is the moment you put a cap or a lid on that thing. <laughs> It's now in there it's so somewhere. Huge. It's in your being. It's in your, you know, there's a pain body. You're storing it in your cells. But you, the problem isn't that you're angry. The problem is that you haven't fully plumbed the depths of your anger. Because if you actually go all the way in there, it eventually has it has a bottom. Yeah. And you actually have a chance of being a far less angry person. Ooh. I know. See, I, I had know. a therapist See, one time who said to me, because my thing with anger is whenever I feel it, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what you're supposed to do. Because right. I'm a very peaceful, loving person. So I don't know, am I allowed to feel this? Am I allowed to say this? I always say it wrong. It always makes it worse. What am I supposed to do with your, you know? And she's like, how about do nothing <laughs> and feel everything? How about yeah. feel more, do less? See, yes. because by, by me wanting to find a way to do Convert something about it. Convert all that anxiety into action. She's like, you're just trying to evacuate it out of yourself ha- by doing a thing. Because the manager in me is like, okay, I got to fix this. I got to fix this relationship. I right. got to solve this. What if there's nothing to be done? And what if the thing is, what if you just feel everything that you're feeling without needing it to be evacuated out of you by managing it out of you? Right. Just feel more, do less. Feel more, do less. It's like wonderful motto. And by feeling it all, then in the end, you're like, well, there's really nothing to do. Right. It um, just was. It just happened. It was an experience. This is a I thing was that there. happened. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> this is a thing. This is part of the human experience. The narrative arc is this thing happened, and then it was done. And then that's all we and got. And it passed. And yeah. now another thing will happen. And then another thing will happen, and that'll just keep happening while we're here, and then that's it's all okay. Yes. Um, and there aren't any forbidden feelings. 
there aren't any forbidden feelings. Because I want to feel like a lot, so much of my early spiritual journey was like, how do I become somebody who only feels love? Right. Right. Oh, exactly. Right. The goal here is to have a mind that's like a, only has one half of life. It only knows all the good stuff. It's a stuff. golden orb. Right, right, right. <laughs> and all that other stuff, it just doesn't, that's not. That's not the goal. Yeah. You know, the goal is like to not be afraid of your human embodiment, which means to not be afraid of your lust and to not be afraid of your rage and to not be afraid of your jealousy and to not be afraid of your resentment and your judgment and your pettiness and your stupidness and that dumb lie you told yesterday for no reason whatsoever. Like the part of you who's still afraid of getting called into the principal's office, the part of you that will do anything to not get in trouble, the part of you, like all of that stuff. What if none of that was scary and all of that was just to be loved and allowed, you know, and then it, the soap bubble bursts and then you can kind of go get a cup of coffee <laughs> and be all yeah. right rather than yeah. internalizing it and getting cancer. You know, um, right? Or toxifying your every relationship that you've got. Um, that's what I've been all about lately. That's <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, also, the car metaphor for fear. Yeah. And what else do we have? In fear? Oh, anger. Do you know what? It really, that image stayed with me and really helped me with. And I realized what else rides in the back seat: ambition. Because I noticed how many times in a crowd when I would do Q and A people ask about ambition in some form or another. What do I do with this stuff within me that wants to do really big, great things? Right. Um, you know, that's, that's a beautiful impulse sure. that you have to, to make something with your life right. and to impact and to have influence or whatever it is. Um, but that can obviously become a raging out of control. But there's actually a part of you that it's, I mean, when someone's like, we're going to get everybody in that village drinking water, what a fantastic ambition. I'm cheering yeah. you on. But it was uh, very helpful for me when you talk about that in the book because I, I realized, oh, ambition can ride there too. Ambition, you're in the front seat. That's cool. You can be in there. That's soul yeah. versus ego. And ego's yeah, exactly. fine. <laughs> ego's fine. You meet, what do they say? You meet a man with no ego, you've met no one. Right. You know, um, like right. that's what makes you different from me and different from Brendan. And all of us have our own personalities and our characters. And I had a... Um, a young woman who on Facebook was like, I don't think I should ma be made to feel ashamed of the fact that I don't just want to be an actress. I want to be a really successful actress. And I'm in acting school because I want to be a really successful actress. And why is that so wrong? And I wrote her back and I was like, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I wanted to be a successful writer. If I didn't have that energy field in me that wanted yeah. to be successful, I never would have pushed, never would have knocked on doors, I never would have asked for jobs, I never would have gotten up two hours before work and worked on my novel. Like right. You need that, but be wary if that is the only motive. Um, if that is your only motive, you are setting yourself up for a life of tremendous anxiety. Your joy will always be just a few miles down the road. Because talk yeah. to anybody who won an Academy Award and ask them. So in the making of that film was the best moment when you won the Academy Award. <laughs> Because yes. I bet you they were like, you know what was really weird was the party after they came out was, was really kind of depressing. And I felt like hollow and I didn't, yeah. and I, I got, it was fun to get the applause and then it was over two minutes later. So you say, well, what was the best part of the experience? They're like, when we were shooting in Thailand and we just broke through on this scene and we were all in the same thing and I found the character, that was the part that was mm -hmm. the good part. You have a friend who just finished writing 
her first book and she sent me an email in the middle of the night saying, you know, final edits are done. She's been working on this book for three years. She went off to a cabin to be alone with the last bits of it. And she's like, I'm sending it off and I'm so excited about what it does in the world. And there was a part of me that wanted, I don't know how to do it without, yeah. to just say, the best part's finished. Like, yeah, uh, you yeah, already yeah. had the best experience of this book, which was when you and the book were dancing right. together right, for three right, years. Right, right. And you were on the edge of your capacities, walking on the edge of that cliff, not knowing if you could do this thing that you set out to do, solving problems, opening up puzzles, finding hidden doorways and staircases in your mind that you never knew existed. That's Now, look, that doesn't mean don't be excited about the book being published. But if you think that now something's going to happen that's better than the making of the thing, you're going to be really disappointed by what it feels like, even if your book is on the bestseller list. Right. Look, Eat, Pray, Love was on the bestseller list for three years, and then you know what happened? One day it wasn't. So if yeah. my only motive in life is ambition, that would have been a horrible day for me. <laughs> right. You only got three right. years. <laughs> Somebody took I'd your place. Oh. Somebody's always right. going to come and take your place, but because I'm driven... I have tons of ambition, but I have like 1% more soul than I have ego, which is why <laughs> it's okay that somebody took my place. It's a 49 <laughs> split. Make sure that your soul is bigger than your ego. You know what I'd say to her? Your, uh, the release day, it's, it's kind of got a letdown to it. I, you know what I mean? It's yeah. really exciting because your book is now out. It's officially out. It also, do you ever have that? It has a little tinge of now the book's out. And what was this supposed to date? This right. day was supposed to deliver something really magical. Now I'm supposed to be an actualized human being. <laughs> right, right. No, that is totally... Did you hear Jim Carrey's speech at the um, Golden Globes this year when he came to give an award? No. So brilliant. He came out and they introduced him as two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. And he walks on a stage and with this really plastic smile, he goes, Hi, I'm two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. When I get dressed in the morning, I do not get dressed as a normal man gets dressed. I get dressed as two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. When I go to bed at night, I'm not just a man sleeping. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey getting some much-deserved rest. Oh. He just kept going. And then he said, and someday my dearest wish is that I will be three-time Golden Globe winner oh. Jim Carrey. And then I can stop this hunt for meaning Oh, in my life, and so it was good. so brilliant, and people were laughing so and sort of laughing good. and crying at the same time. But yeah. that's it. There's always going to be somebody who got four Golden Globes. Right, then who right, are you? Right, right. So it's okay to want to be successful, but if that's all you are, you'll always be on the hunt, and someone will yes. always be about to take your place. And yes. then next year you don't get the big prize, and then who are you? Right. Joy's in the work. It has to be. Yep. Good Lord, we're solving all the world's problems. <laughs> <laughs> but don't like, but enjoy your, don't be then the douchebag who gets an Academy Award and stands on stage and goes, this means nothing. It's just a piece of right. metal. You're, now you're lying. Because like, it, it's incredibly it's meaningful wonderful. when people respond to your it's work. It's wonderful. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for the honor. Yeah. But know mm -hmm. what the good part was. Yes. And the good part was making the yeah. thing. And now what are you going to make next? Ah. Uh. There's a phrase in the New Testament, grace upon grace. And it's like there's the grace of doing it, the joy of doing it, the the work and the making the ideas come to and the sweat and finding a space to open the business and all whatever it is. And to me, then if it if it actually 
gets receptivity or it actually, that's frosting on the cake. It's grace, grace upon grace. grace. It's, oh my word, it's like just goodness stacked on top of goodness. No way, people were moved by that? Are you kidding me? Wow. It was already, I was already fulfilled. This is, ama- why don't you, this is amazing. Man, oh man. Um, you got to bake your own cupcake though. You got to bake that cupcake. Because the frosting may or may not go. Exactly. <laughs> and it needs to taste good without the frosting. <laughs> like a nice carrot cake. Bake a good something doesn't need frosting. And there's frosting. You're like, oh, wow. Wow, that's even better with the cream cheese I wasn't frosting. expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> we should talk about um, Robcast friends. Liz and I are going to do an event together. We're doing a thing. We're making a thing. Yes. It's one day with Rob and Liz, the two of us on so stools exciting. in Hollywood, Memorial Day, 2016 um and all the info will be on our our perspective outlets and sites did you say perfect all of the info will be on our perspective (laughs) is that right i think respective respective but i say perspective no you said perfective which i like because it feels like our perfect did you say well everyone loves a didact liz Everyone, well, no, no. I everyone think that, loves a... Uh, I think it'll be on our perfective websites. <laughs> <laughs> as well, I said it, I was like... It will all be on our... Ins- as I said it, I was like... Man, I'm going for this sentence. The sentence doesn't feel like it's coming out right, but I'm just going to give it... find that if you just... You're trying out... A, like the, Sometimes I'll try out words that I write but have never heard spoken. Oh, absolutely. And then I'll, as I'm saying them, I'm like, I'm not... Sure, how to say pince-nez. Um, <laughs> <laughs> pince-nez. I don't know how to... And you just keep adding <laughs> syllables like pince-nez. But just keep throwing syllables how at How would it. you... How do you... How is the word... I Regularly people tell me that I don't pronounce this particular word correctly. M-I-R-A-C-L-E. How do you say that word? Well, I know how you say it. Oh, you know... <laughs> What is that? Somebody last night was yeah. like, hey, I need to tell you how to say the word. Why would anybody tell you? Look, first of all, you're a mystic. You're, you're literally allowed to say miracle however you want. You just say it differently than some how people do you I say know. It? I say miracle. M- you say miracle. Miracle, like a meerkat. And how do I say it? Merkel. <laughs> a miracle? You say it like two syllables. Mer- Merkel. Like, like Angela Merkel, the um, <laughs> of Germany. <laughs> Well, I'm American. You're American, <laughs> and you believe in so, miracles. So, I just find this fascinating. I'm not, I'm not able to say it. I've practiced it because people have been like, you need to say that word better. And then after a while, it's like. Why should you say no, it? No. It's your thing. This is my thing. Yeah. And I'm actually not talking about what you think I'm talking about. I'm talking about something else when I say that. <laughs> You're just thinking about a good occurrence s- that has no um, precedent. How do you say M-I-R-C-U? See, I can't spell. That's a thing. Miraculous. That M- miraculous. <laughs> I had to picture a meerkat. <laughs> I had to picture a meerkat, literally, <laughs> to say the word. <laughs> Mer- miracle. I like the way you say miracle. I, I noted that long ago in your Oprah tour speech. It's like that Did guy. Did I say it weird too? Well, you didn't say it weird. You said no, it. No, it's not weird. I embrace all the parts of you, Rob. Oh, that's so great. I love the part of you that. That's so great. And I, Thank I've you. got those things. I have those. We all have those things. It's cool. You know, my um, therapist. I we got in this habit. Your therapist. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> my therapist. For years, I would. I would be. I had this weird default question: Is it normal that? And he'd always stop me. Uh, 
Like we passed normal a long time ago. <laughs> is it normal for you? Is the question. Right. Well, this goes because back of this, to you know, how does everyth- everybody else do it? And he'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's talk about you, your path, who you are, what you're doing. Is it normal is not a good question. Is it normal for you? No, that's a better question. This goes back to no forbidden thoughts, no forbidden right. feelings, no forbidden right. urges, no forbidden dark fantasies, no forbidden rage. It all happens no within the thing legends. that is you. So, um, And if you can love all those parts, it's amazing. I, it's really become my mantra. Like Whenever I find myself having a what I would have considered 10 years ago to be an unpermitted thought, right? You are yeah. not allowed. If you want to be the spiritual person that you keep saying you want to be, you are not allowed to be jealous, you are uh, not allowed to be resentful, you yeah. are not allowed to be judgmental. So those would have been exiles from right, myself, right? right? And right. you know what exiles do, you know? Like they f- they fester, they long for home, they long for belonging, they rise up in arms, they... Exactly, you know, they launch rockets. Anything banished yeah. comes back harder. Yeah. Right? So now it's like, it's now it's like this snap instinct on the street. I have a, an, a forbidden thought and instantly I think, ah, oh, Liz... With friendly affection, like this kind of, ah, honey. You know, I'm like, oh, yeah. Liz, I love the part of you that is still, okay, here's a good one. There are arguments I had with my ex-husband that I'm still having. I haven't spoken to the man in 13 years. I haven't seen him in 13 years. We are so, I'm happily married. He's happily remarried. Life has moved on. I will find myself walking down the street revisiting a fight that we had in 1998 and planning a better response to what I could say next time, last time. Because you like time, haven't when, won it yet. Because I want to perfect that moment. I want to wow. go back and perfect yeah. that and be like, you know what? And then I'll be like, why? So in the past, that would have sent me into a shame spiral of like, what a deficient human being you are. Yeah. That you're still in that argument. And now I'm just like, oh, Liz, I love the part of you that's still having a fight with him 15 years later. That's adorable. Soap bubble bursts, gone. 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 Because that's like part of the weird topography of how your brain works. It's all right. right. You're not harming anybody. It's all right. I bet you if you stopped everyone on the street in Melbourne and asked what they were thinking about, they're all like in some deep conversation with the past or some weird fantasy about the future. It's okay. That's what we do. Yeah. We're weird monkeys, man. <laughs> but we're still worth... We're still worth affection and friendly curiosity. And, and we're still in search of that sweet, sweet transrational. Okay, this has been it's so much fun. It's a to talk to you, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to do... Hey, can I tell you that when I was at your event last night, I was talking to all your people in the lobby? I, I know... I did like a, a meet and greet line, but I kept noticing you around the corner. What were you doing? Market research for you. I was trying to find out like, <laughs> I was like, how did you find out about Rob Bell? What's your connection? You were like going through the line? Yeah. But they were saying, hey, you're Liz Gilbert. Some some of them, but most of them, no. I, so, they just thought that you'd hired somebody to do market research for you. But I was really curious. Some of them didn't know you were Liz Gilbert. They just thought this woman, <laughs> this clearly American woman is asking me questions in the line well, to talk Americans to Rob Bell. Well, you know are. They're always like... <laughs> but I was asking people my favorite I question no, I that I ask people lately, which is what, what you are you doing. most excited about right now? It's my favorite. As I travel, I ask people that. And there were some beautiful answers. The best answer last night was a woman who said, 
I have a daughter who's about to become a teenager, and I'm so excited for her. Oh, my word. That's such a great answer. And I thought, I've never heard somebody say that about their child about to become a teenager. And she said, I said, I you know, she said, I tell her all the time, things are going to get so weird now. You're going to get all, like, weird and stinky and smelly, and, like, your mind's going to change, and your body's going to change, and you're going to burst into something, and you're going to push back against things, and I'm so interested to see who you're going to become. Never heard a parent talk about ad their child's adolescence that way. It's always with fear. That's so fantastic. And dread, and um, and sometimes with anger. So that was really beautiful. But somebody said to me, "Well, what are you most excited about right now?" And I said, "My friendship with Rob Bell and Glennon Doyle Melton, Good that has Lord. grown over the last two years. Yeah, and I'm more excited about that. Hi, and Glennon. What we're about to do. We're talking about you, Glennon. All of us. What we're doing and making together, and what we're growing into together. Yeah. Than I am about like the novel I'm supposed to be writing than I am about. It's like the first time in my life I've been more excited about something than I am about my writing. It's like, what are we all going to make together? Yes. It's so cool. It's like there's this tribe of people who are all finding each other. Yeah. And there's like some giant bass note resounding under all of these conversations. It's like, yes, this is the thing. This is the juice. That's so stuff. fantastic. And yeah. Glennon sent a Dude. picture this morning to us because um, Rob put a picture on Instagram last night of me and him in Melbourne. And Glennon sent a picture this morning, and the heading was subject heading in caps was "Don't worry, guys, I fixed your picture." And she had photoshopped herself <laughs> into it. <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, you should be here with us because we're we're all like, and Brene too, and Cheryl too. We're we're like, oh, there's something so building good. that's really exciting." For those of you who don't know Glennon, she goes under the name Momastery. She's, she's going to be on a future Robcast. She doesn't know it yet, but extraordinary, extraordinary, extraordinary. And then we'll be together in Hollywood. Memorial, Memorial Day. Day. Talking about creativity. So much fun. So much fun. Okay, so we're in Melbourne. We just did this. It was so much fun. I'm so glad that we got together this morning. And you're flying home right now. I'm going home right now. Awesome. I'm going to fly. It's Tuesday, early Tuesday morning. I'm going to get home earlier than when I left. Is that so hard? Why can't we do that every day? Why can't if the airlines can do time travel? <laughs> That's what I feel like on daylight savings when they give you an extra hour. I'm like, was that so hard? Why right. can you not give me that every day? Right, right. Why are you stingy? Why I gotta have why 24 hours most days? Yeah. you easily you just handed me. Why can't we just just Ugh. make up? You made up daylight savings to adjust to the. So just yeah. make it up some more. Just give me another one. How about another right. year? How about a free year? Hey, Liz, you're 44 again. Thank you. How hard right. was that? Right. Exactly. This can't come on, peoples. <laughs> Let's get together. <laughs> uh.